Great to hear that story. And hey, welcome everyone. Good to be together. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors here. And you uh, join us at, at a perfect time. We're just kicking off a new series called Follow. And it's all about chasing through what it means to follow Jesus. Why would we follow Jesus? What's required to follow him? Any pitfalls? Any risks in following? Any rewards in following him? How do we begin this uh, relationship with Jesus where we're followers of him? How do we start again if we kind of uh, kind of been disengaged from that? And so it's a perfect time, whether you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, whether you're checking it out, considering it, um, or maybe just brand new, like the person who sent this email this past week. I came to both the Good Friday and Easter church services this past weekend. I grew up in an agnostic family and have never really been a part of a church or thought Christianity was something intelligent people believed in. I saw a post about the Questioning Christianity series and was intrigued. And so I came to two of the messages interested to learn more, but quite sure I wouldn't, if you know what I mean. Pastor Mark's teaching on suffering in God, it made me rethink different times in my life when I'd suffered. I also was impressed by Pastor R.D.'s message on the exclusivity of Jesus. I think at one point he said, you must be thinking surely intelligent people don't actually believe this teaching. And I thought, we don't. But to hear the thought spoken was actually very helpful because I then listened in a deeper way and came away thinking perhaps Jesus is different than Buddha or Muhammad. Now I know that he is. I want to let you know that I put my faith in Jesus on Easter Sunday, actually in the afternoon after the services. I could not deny it any longer. Yeah. The Good Friday service was beautiful and riveting, and Easter Sunday I thought, I I want to believe this actually. Now I do. I really do. And I wanted to tell you about it since Door Creek helped it happen. So from a former agnostic turned Christian, thanks for all that you do. I'm proof that it really matters. I look forward to what seems like a perfect series for me, the follow series, to find out what is, the, what is next in this journey of faith. Isn't that great? Yeah. So the danger of me reading that is we all applaud and go, well, I hope that person's here this weekend. <laughs> or man, I wish so-and-so was here this weekend because like they're new or they're thinking about it. And for us who've been following Christ for a while, we go, well, okay, I'm sure I'm able to get something out of it. But I, I, I'm probably going to buy a few DVDs and send it out or the links and send them forward. Now, this is for all of us. Because one of the things that we're going to see is there are followers of Jesus and, and then there's pretenders. There are people that actually believe with all their heart they're, they're a follower. Just like Jesus is saying, like in Matthew 25, hey, Lord, 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 I did all these things for you. And he says, I, I, I don't know you. I don't know you. So this is a really important message an important series for all of us. Because it's an easy question to answer for many of us. Are you a follower of Christ? Absolutely. Then the harder one was, how do you know? How do you know? It's a really important question for us who've been following. It's a really important question for us who are considering it or new in the journey like this person in this wonderful email. So grab your Bible. Let's get into it. We're... um, In Luke chapter 12, we'll be finishing out 12, 13, and 14 in these next four weeks here in this series follow. So Luke 12, 35. And Jesus is going to make this statement that followers of him know the times. And it's not like if I ask you what time is it, you go, oh, all right, where we go? It's 10 after 11. 
It's 1110. Now, it's not that. Not, not that kind of what time is it. It's, do you understand the day that you're living in? And do you know the implications of the day that you're living in in terms of how you live your life? Followers of Jesus know the times. We live each day in light of that day. What, what is that day? Well, he's going to talk about it. Verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable, this story to us or to everyone? So it's really easy to see this repeated idea. Ready, get ready, be ready. Like a servant whose master's gone off to the feast. You, you, you got to be dressed. You got to keep the, the lamp burning. You, you got to be up so that when he knocks on the door, you can open it up. Welcome him in and serve him. You, you got to be ready, because you never know when he's coming back. Jesus said this. Listen to this in Matthew 24, verse 36. But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You can, you can chase it all you want in your daytime. You can chase it all you want in, in, your, in your outlook and looking at your calendar. It, you're not going to see it. It's amazing how many people today are trying to figure out the time. Jesus says, you don't know the time. That's not the point of me telling you I'm coming back so that you know exactly when. You just need to know you're not going to be expecting it. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Now, have you ever received this call? Uh, Mr. Myfair, uh, this is John uh, with local burglars here of Madison, and we were planning to uh, be visiting your neighborhood next week and wondered if we could set up a time. <laughs> Hello? Did you ever get that call? No. We know the plumber's coming because we call him. We know Orkin's coming because they called out. We, we get that. He says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. Unexpected. So you live today in light of that day, and you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared. That same idea of coming like a thief is the very image that Peter and Paul pick up. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Completely unexpected. Peter but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, 2 Peter 3.10. I remember the day my dad's dental lab got broken into. I mean, it's completely unexpected. He opens the, the lock, and right there in, in the entryway of the lab, there's this little office, and there's this big kahuna safe. I mean, it was huge. And they tipped it over, and they got their torches. I forget how they got, but they ransacked the place. If you've ever been robbed, that is a really unnerving thing. He says, you're not going to expect my return, so be, you're not going to know, so be ready, be ready. So raise the question, okay, so what does that look like? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ who lives today in light of that day so you're actually ready for that day? 
What does that look like? Well, he says, well, get dressed. Make sure the lamp's burning. So let's talk about getting dressed. This is, this is being prepared, getting dressed, okay? So have any of you had uh, some nightmares the first week of a new job? Any, anybody? Like you had a new job and it was stressful and you're just thinking about it. So the first nightmares I had about a new job was back in high school when I got this great promotion. I went from cart guy, I was a cart boy, and I got cashier. Are you kidding me? Now, guys, this is pre-scanner days. I mean, it was really hard back then. You had no prize. You had to be fat. You had to, you had to, there weren't computers to work it all out. You had to reconcile the tape with the cash drawer. I mean, it was stressful stuff. So I'm having all these dreams, just big time, intense dreams. And they all were the same thing. I was checking out people in, in, in the grocery store, but I wasn't appropriately dressed, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I was in my BVDs, and it was like a nightmare. It was so, ah, this is terrible. Now, for pastors uh, uh, that preach, uh, one of the recurring dreams is that you're supposed to preach, and you didn't know. Like, they didn't tell you, and you're going, I don't have a sermon. What am I going to say? Or you go, I had a sermon. Where is it? In fact, it just happened to RD just the other day. I mean, it was right before the first Good Friday service. He come, I'm standing in the back in the booth. He comes in and he goes, where's my Bible? So I don't, I don't, he was right here. He was right here. So I, I, I don't know. We look around. We're looking around. I said, dude, man, just, you can use my Bible. It's okay. No, I got my notes in there. <laughs> so it's serious, like just minutes before the service, right? So he's, he's, he's just flying around. He can't, you know, we go, we go downstairs. We're, we're, we're looking. And then he says, that's good. I got it. I got it. Some scoundrel put it in my office. <laughs> so he says, you, you got to be ready. You got to be prepared. You got to be dressed because you don't know when it's going to happen. So what does it look like to be ready? Well, we're prepared. We're prepared. We don't fall asleep. We don't fall asleep. So look what he says about what it would look like to fall asleep. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, that's a great tendency. It's a great tendency is to fall asleep on the job. So verse 42, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? Who is this guy who's a faithful servant? It will be good for that servant who the master finds doing so when he returns. So he's not just prepared but he's actively engaged in the duties assigned, right? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all possessions. You're faithful in a little? This is the principle. He'll be, he'll be given more responsibilities. That's the story of Joseph, right? Faithful in little. He becomes head of all of Potiphar's household. But suppose the servant says to him, my master is taking a long time in coming. Maybe he doesn't have it clear that Christ could come back any time. Suppose he says, oh, it's a long time from now. And then begins to beat the other servants, both the men and the women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Oh, that guy doesn't have his lamp burning. See, the, the only reason the lamp would be burning is we stayed up. We were awake. Because the supply of the oil in a lamp isn't going to last all night. We're going to have to replenish it. Keep the lamp burning. 
Stay awake. Don't fall asleep on the job. So all of a sudden we're, we're understanding, well, there's a difference between a servant and a faithful servant, right? There's a difference between a follower and a pretender. He says, followers live today in light of that day. They're prepared to serve and they're actively engaged. They're not falling asleep on the job. So let's just consider, what does it look like to fall asleep as a follower of Christ? When kindness is replaced by cruelty, meanness. When we use and abuse people for self-gain. It could be emotional. It could be taking advantage of their time and availability. It could be financial. We've fallen asleep when we neglect those that God has placed in our life that we're to serve. We've fallen asleep when we've made it all about ourselves. I mean, what an interesting picture. So on the one hand, you've got the guy who's dressed, his lamp's burning, and he's just waiting for the knock on the door. And he's going to open it up, and he's going to serve the master. On the other side, you've got a guy who's going, it's going to be a long time. You know what? I can just do whatever I want to do. And so if I trash people, mistreat people, it doesn't matter. And I mean, this is a picture of this guy who's so self-indulgent, so self-centered, that he's in a drunken stupor. He's out when the master comes, completely unprepared. Completely unprepared. And I don't know if you noticed it back in verse 37, but what a cool thing to say. And the one that we're staying up for, when he comes... What does he say in verse 37? Well, he's going to get dressed and he's going to have you, servant, recline at the table and serve you. Huh, I wasn't expecting that. I thought he'd sit at the table and say, come on, guys, thanks for staying up. I'm starved. I mean, it was a good wedding feast, but I need some of your good food. That's just a beautiful thing. And that's actually the very imagery Jesus uses, right? But when I come back, it's going to be a feast. It's going to be a wedding feast. It's going to be like a family reunion like you've never experienced. So he says, you got to be ready. You got to stay awake. And when you think about following Christ, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, if following Christ has everything to do with serving the people, not using the people that he's placed in our life, well, then now everything's in play. Everything's at play at at the job. So you're you're going to to work tomorrow. And I've got an opportunity to serve people there. We go, well... You know, the hard thing about work is, like, I feel stuck in a job that's going nowhere. I feel like people don't appreciate me. I feel like people are taking advantage of me. You know, they know I'm a pretty good person. I'm always willing to take on more. And so you kind of get this kind of feeling like, I just just want a new job. And Jesus say, well, wait, I know you feel stuck. I know you want to turn the page and get to something better. But this is the place I have you. This is the place I've called you. So embrace that. Don't fall asleep. Engage the people at the workplace. You go, well, what, not my family. Yeah, your family. Oh, they're so hard to love. I know. Go serve your family. That's so hard to love right now. School? Yeah, school. I feel like I'm invisible. Nobody even knows me at school. I walk through the halls, and it's like I'm not there. Nobody cares about me. It's not about you. Jesus says, serve Go, go serve at school. Everything comes 
into play. It's so beautiful. And one of the things that we understand here is that when we live today in light of that day, prepared and actively engaged in serving those God's place in our life, not using them for our own selfish gain, then all of a sudden there's greater clarity to my life, what I'm supposed to be about. And there's a greater sense of urgency in my life. And so it's a beautiful thing about following Jesus. It's a comfortable at times because following Jesus continues to lead us down this journey where through the spirit of Christ in us, he reminds us, oh, that behavior, that's, that's not part of my behavior. You're not following me when you do that. Mark, that attitude, that's not my attitude. Your motivation here that nobody even has a clue about, that's not my motivation. And, and so it's very transformative. And the reason it's transformative is Jesus isn't asking us to just make him a category in our lives. The invitation to follow is an invitation of a relationship that then transforms every category of our lives. And that's a powerful thing. That's a changing, transformative thing. So he says, be ready, be ready. Don't fall asleep. And I think, wow, I, you know, I do that. I fall asleep. I fall asleep. Sometimes, we, if we're honest, we go, I've been sleeping for a while. This has been a long one, not just a cat nap. And so it's kind of good to go. So how, what, what does Jesus think about disciples who fall asleep? And we go, we don't have to be hypothetical in that one, right? We actually know there's a time in his greatest hour of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's agonizing over this impending death on the cross that was far more than the physical suffering, but actually taking on all of our sin and all of God's judgment against sin that has separated us from God on himself. And he's agonizing, right? He's praying, God, if there's a plan B, this would be a good time for me to know that. And he says to his disciples, come on, let's go pray. And he goes to the place where he's always gone, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, guys, you stay here, right? But you pray for me because I'm going to go there and pray to the Father. And he prays to the Father and it says he's agonizing. And he's sweating as if it were drops of blood. I mean, this is intense. And, and, and this is the hour of his life. And he goes back. Like, guys. And, and he just says, come on, can you, can you pray again? Go, okay, we'll pray again. So he goes away and he comes back. Guys. He doesn't smack him. He doesn't give him a tongue lashing. He's, he's gracious. He's merciful to even his disciples, like you and me, who fall asleep on the job. So this is, this is really important to see, this next point. Following Jesus doesn't just require being prepared. It doesn't just require being actively engaged, but it requires an understanding that every day how I live my life matters, which is like huge. I mean, on one hand, you go, are you kidding me? Every thought, word, deed, everything I should have done that didn't do, all that stuff is going to be held and brought to the light of day, and I'm going to be held accountable for that. It's like, ah. But actually what that does on the flip side of that is it brings us not only to our need for Christ, but it brings us to this profound understanding that so many people don't have. If that's true, that everything I do, every interaction, the opportunities that God gives me to serve other people and to point people to him, if, if all those things 
matter, then my life matters. I have meaning. There are so many people that go, it's just meaningless. You feel so stuck in this job that you go, ah, this relationship that's just not going, and you just go, this isn't. And, and there's a bunch of people that are living today, Christ followers, we don't have this excuse, who, who have this sense of life is just a waste. Well, absolutely. If you haven't surrendered control of your life and placed yourself under his care and living, and you're not living your life in, in a sense of, I'm accountable to you, Lord. Well, that's where you're going to end up. And so this is a beautiful thing, that our life has meaning as we follow Christ because everything I do for Christ matters, not just for today, but for eternity. So look at verse 46. He's going back to the, to the, uh, to the guy who was the drunk, right? He says, the master of that servant who's beating up his other servants will come on a day when he does not expect it, right? The thief. And at an hour, he's not aware of. Now listen to this strong language. He's talking about the end. It's sometimes called apocalyptic, which means the end of time. He's using really strong figurative language to kind of slap us in the face and wake us up. He will cut him to pieces. He'll dismember him and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Hello, that's eternally separated from God in hell. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Whoa. But the one who does not know, he's ignorant, and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. There's, there's mercy according to our understanding. From everyone who's been given much, and as Christ follows, we've been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, we've been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Strong language. Strong language. Which raises the question, so why are we following this guy? <laughs> I mean, this, this doesn't sound very nice. I, I, I kind of want to follow the gentler Jesus guy. I mean, this is, the, this is the whole question. So who are we following? Are, are we following a Jesus of our own making? Or is there a wildness to our God and to his son? Dorothy Sayers says, if we really believe what we believe about God and believe that we're meeting him on Sundays, we'd all wear crash helmets. <laughs> the, the kind of Jesus I want is the, the, the Jesus that's just kind of it's kind of got that candy coating, it's sugar coated, the airbrushed. You know, it's just, just not so well defined. I can just kind of just clean, clean all this stuff out. And, and he doesn't give us that. Jesus is not giving you this safe place of going, well, I don't know if he's a son of God, but I think he's a good guy. I think there's some stuff you can learn from him. He's certainly a moral teacher. You, you know, that could be helpful. He's not giving you that. Lewis puts it great. He says, look, he's either a liar. He's claiming to be someone he's not. He's a lunatic on the level of he thinks he's a poached egg. Or he actually is who he said he is. He actually is Lord. He is a son of God who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and conquered death, rose from the dead. So, so Jesus is like this watershed guy. He said, you think I just came to bring peace. I came to, to bring this offer of peace. 
But if you don't receive the offer of peace, which is in and through me, peace with God, the peace of God, well, then you need to understand, I, I don't just bring the offer of peace, but I'm, I, I, I'm the great divide. Look at it, verse 49. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on the earth. He's speaking about judgment. That's the whole context here. I've come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. He's speaking about his impending death. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? I'm thinking, yeah, I thought that's what Isaiah said. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? That's what I was thinking, Jesus. I remember what the angels said. Glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace. On whom God's favor rests, on those who would receive that offer of peace. I'm thinking Jesus came to bring peace. He says, no, I, no not just the offer of peace. I tell you, but division. From now on, there'll be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus said, I'm the great divide. So, so why would we follow this one who says, I would love it if the fires of judgment were already started. That doesn't seem like, I don't know, why do I want to follow that? Because he says, but he says this, he says, but first, but first, I've got to bear that judgment. I've, I've got to get baptized. I've got to suffer. I'm, I'm talking to you about God's justice and his judgment coming. But before that ever happens, i got to get you ready for that day. I've got to take, I've got to satisfy his justice. I've got to bear the judgment. That's why we follow Christ. Because he didn't just say, you guys are sinners, and you're all going to hell, and you deserve to go to hell because you've chosen to do life without God, but I'm just giving you a warning. So, no, he didn't, he, didn't, he says, you guys are all guilty. You deserve death, but I came to do something about it so that you could be ready for that day and join me today to get others ready for that day as well. That's why we follow Christ. And the reason we follow Christ is he addresses what only he can address. Why is there judgment? Because there is sin. What does sin do? It separates us from God. What does Jesus uniquely do? He perfectly keeps the law of God, always loving God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and always loving his neighbor as himself. He never mistreats anybody. He's giving his life away ultimately to the point of death on the cross so that he could be the perfect sacrifice that satisfies what all of us long for, that things would be right, that are twisted and broken and wrong, that injustices would be made right. And so when Jesus says, I long for the fire, just understand it's what the fire brings. 
that all things will be in their rightful place. All that isn't of God, all that isn't of his character, all that isn't of his perfect will would be dealt with and addressed. And so all the things that are horrific in our day and twisted in our day and broken in our day are gone, which means there's no hatred, no greed, no murder, no violence, no genocide, no sex trafficking, no slavery, no lying, nor no pride, no hunger, and people dying from hunger, dying from disease, no cancers, no disasters, no death. He's longing for that day to come in. And so it's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching indeed that reminds us of his great love for you and me. He's bearing the judgment on the cross. That's why we follow Jesus. But Jesus realized there's a whole bunch of people listening to him that they don't get it. So it's kind of like a little, okay, wake up, guys. Smell the coffee, verse 54. So now he's speaking to the crowd. He never really answered Peter's question, did he? Who are you talking to, us or, the, or everyone? I think Jesus said, yeah, yeah, everyone. So I've been talking to you. Keep listening. I'm going to talk to the crowd right now. He says to the crowd, you guys are so good at knowing the times. That's what he says. You guys are so good. You think you know the times. Listen to what he says. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? So remember, remember little Diddy? Red sky in the morning. Oh, see, we know that. Red sky at night. Sailor's delight. Okay, he says, you guys are so, you're so good, man. You see that west wind, the cloud, you go, uh-oh, it's going to rain. You, you feel the heat of that Scirocco wind or whatever they call it coming out of the south. You go, oh, it's going to be a scorcher. It's going to be a hot one. You're so good at understanding those things. Those are like not very important things, by the way. You're, you're missing like what's going on right in front of you. That is the kingdom of God is breaking out. I'm preaching about it. I'm demonstrating that God is renewing all things to himself through me, through the miracles, right? The withered hand that, that becomes whole. The dead child, the little girl who, who comes back to life. He said, I'm freeing people from demonic forces. You're seeing it, but you don't get it. You don't realize who I am and what's happening. You're completely missing it. Wake up. And Jesus says, you need to know, because I haven't returned, there, there's still time. And so he compares getting right with God to someone going to, to the local authorities, to the judge, and right, right before they're going to have to go on trial and maybe be thrown in debtor's prison. Look what he says. As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, the judge, try hard to be reconciled on the way while it's still something you have control of. Try hard. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge. The judge turn you over to the officer. The officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you'll not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus knows there's a whole bunch of people, bunch of people then and a whole bunch of people now are going, well, that's great for the, for the, for the weak people who go, yeah, I, re I really need, I don't need Jesus. I'm actually pretty good. 
I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. I've got some moral scruples. I'm not perfect. But, man, I, can, I, could, I could point to a lot of people who are a lot worse shape than I am. I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I'm not worried about that day. I've got to figure it out. There's more good in my life than bad. God grades on a curve. It's actually not even going to happen. When it's over, it's just over. I'm good. You need Jesus? It's working for you? That's great. I don't need Jesus. One of the things that we need to remember is it's counterintuitive. You, you would think, since Jesus is the perfect son of God, that we, we need a little bit of a moral pedigree to qualify for being one of his followers. You'd think that would be like prerequisite. Actually, the prerequisite is acknowledging that we're sinners, not that we're perfect. That, that, oh, I wasn't, actually, the disqualifiers, the people who keep missing Jesus are the people who go, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. I'm good. So what does he do? Chapter 13. Now remember, we've got chapters and verses. It just, this, this is one flow here. Now, there were some present, right, in the crowd at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans. These are the Jewish people who lived up north where Jesus is from, whose blood, so they're martyred, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Just this horrific desecration of life and their lifeblood mixed in with the sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And, and Jesus is going, I know you do. And they're going, I'm not going to say it out loud, but yeah. That's their construct. That's like life construct. That's as old as like the oldest book in the Bible. Job and his friends, his friends are going, Job, the reason you are suffering, dude, is because you have messed up and God's punishing you. And the reason you are suffering is because you're guilty. And, and Jesus is going, ah, see, you're, you're grabbing a moral higher ground. You're claiming that you're not like all the others. So Jesus is just knocking that all out from them. He says, you think you're superior to them. And how you're making sense of that tragedy is, hmm, they must have really messed up. And then he goes to the second story, right? He says, I tell you, verse 3, no, but unless you repent, unless you turn to God, you, you all will perish. Or, here's the second story, or those 18. So there's this tragedy. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Yeah, we do. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus is saying, hey, I, I know you're grabbing moral higher ground. You just need to know. We're all, you're all sinners. We all are guilty. Unless we turn to God in faith, we're not, we're not ready. We're not ready for that day. So he told him a parable, verse 6. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Now just know this. You plant a fig tree, you got to wait three years. So this, this tree six years in the ground, no figs. So he said to the man, the gardener, who took care of the vineyard, right? For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. 
Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Jesus saying, it's close. The time's coming. But respond to this grace that's like fertilizer and like this gardener that's doing everything he can to get this thing to bear fruit. Remind me of this tree that's been dying out in the fence line of our backyard. I don't know what it was. It was one of those hard winters, but it's been this slow, just shriveling up, kind of wondering, is it going to kick back? Is it going to make it? And um, it looks okay right now because every other tree in the neighborhood looks like this. But when everything's in full bloom, like there's some people in our family, we, we like birds, and we're thinking, well, this would be kind of a cool, you know, just leave it out for the birds. And I'm thinking... You know, the neighbors may not appreciate the birds as much as we do and go, Mark, chop that thing down. It's an eyesore. So, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a couple of chainsaws, and um, I was thinking maybe it's time to pull out the Husqvarna and just take this thing down. At least we'll get some firewood out of it. And I thought as I was thinking about this, no, I've I got to leave the tree up for another year. So we're going to leave the tree up for another year. That's a family announcement right now. We're leaving the tree up for another year. <laughs> Um, neighbors, just letting you know, another year. Um, because that's a powerful image now for me from this, from this text. It's a powerful image. It's, it's, it's a little tweak on the image. But it, it reminds me theologically of what the Bible says about who I am apart from Jesus. Where I was before I became a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 1, as for you, Mark, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And I, I, I'm following a Savior who is patient. Second Peter 3, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to new life, to repentance in, in faith in Christ. And so I, I, I want to leave it up. I, I want to leave it up as a, as a reminder that God is committed to me to messing with the roots of my life, fertilizing that that, that, that I would be healthy and vibrant and that I would be someone where there's fruit in my life. And you and I have this amazing opportunity to be that fertilizer, to be that, that prodding of the gardener at the roots of someone's life, to get them thinking about this one that invites them to follow so that they would enjoy that today and be ready for that day. That's life-giving. Grace is so life-giving. Have you ever missed one of those like really important things that were, was on your schedule? And you feel so bad. Maybe you stood someone up for a meal or maybe you got stood up for a meal. And those are lots of one degree. Well, I had one happen like early in our married life. It was senior. It's my last year of seminary. It was about this time, maybe a little earlier in February, and I'm sending out applications to all these churches. I want to be a youth pastor. And there is this church in Wheaton, Illinois, that says, hey, we're interested, and we'd like to set up a phone conversation with you. And so we set it up. And then we got this job where we were taking care of a couple of kids whose parents were going off on this trip over to China, and we had 
the two kids, one of them whose name was Jimmy Connors because the family were good friends with the Jimmy Connors. So Jimmy Connors, Bomber, he's a funny kid. He only ate mac and cheese. <laughs> kind of looked like he only ate mac and cheese. And he slept with a snake, which was very unnerving to Lori when he said, I can't find it. She said, you better find that snake, kid. And so I'm taking Jimmy on Saturday morning to his soccer game because I'm like, I'm his, right? I'm his parent right now. So I come back and Laurie goes, she's almost like got an ashen white face. Mark, they called. I said, who called? Howard Whaley and the search committee from College Church called. I said, I remember, I said, well, just cross that church off the list. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. And, and Howard Whaley called back, and he was so gracious. He said, okay, no worries. He said, let's just set it up again. Let's set it up. He sent, he sent a grace. Now, I had a choice right there to receive it and move on or to go, you know what? I don't deserve that. I bet you there's a lot more just sharper guys who, who wouldn't make that mistake with your team. You ought to just pass on me and, and go on. And, and maybe that's where you're at right now, where you go, I, I don't deserve it. Well, you're right. We don't deserve it. And that's why Jesus came. And we go, well, man, I've, I've, I've been falling asleep for so long. You're right. And Jesus says, it's, it's time to wake up and engage again. I love you. And there's nothing you've done in your past that you so desperately want to change that I haven't addressed on the cross. And you don't know what tomorrow holds. But today, I'm inviting you to follow. So follow me today. Follow him out where he calls you tomorrow. Let's follow him as a church as we serve, beautifully depicting his hands and feet all around us. So are you following? Do you want to follow this Jesus who didn't just talk about he's bringing judgment, he came to bear judgment? Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help, help us to hear what your spirit is saying through your word as you use the word as a mirror now to, to just uncover how we do in life. And we just know it's a slippery slope when it gets to motives. We don't want to be doing life for us. And so forgive us when we're using the people in our life to further what we want out of life instead of giving our lives away. And so, Lord, you're so patient with us. We want to every day take you up on that invitation. We want to be dressed. We want to be actively engaged. And we want to remember that everything matters about what we do because we can do it all for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd grant faith, that you'd strengthen faith, and that we would follow you beautifully in the days that you give us until you come or call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.